First Kings, chapter 18, the return of Elijah. Now, six chapters are given to this king that Elijah is dealing with, the wretched king Ahab and his satanic wife Jezebel. Most of the kings get a part of a chapter. <clears throat> the kings in the north I'm talking about. And the reason is largely because of Elijah. You remove him from the story, then you don't really have much to say about Ahab, except that um, he rested with his fathers. You'd get to that conclusion. But God sent this prophet, raised him up at this time in their history, in response to the evil of Ahab and Jezebel, who in the northern part of Israel were trying to substitute entirely Baal for God. Take God away and let's put Baal in his place. One and two is exterminate the worship of Yahweh. The Yahweh who we were just singing to. Uh, many of these Jews in this part of the world at this time uh, they were totally sold out and compromised, but there was this remnant, and we're going to come across a very exciting character this evening in addition to the electrifying Elijah. So God sent this great prophet uh, to eradicate Baalism, to deal with it, to get rid of it. It is a vile, it was a vile and cruel religion. There are still vile and cruel religions to this day. And archaeologists, you know, these things are covered up. Archaeologists find not far from the temple of Baal and Ashtoreth, these cemeteries with uh, the children, the remains of the children who were sacrificed. So when we get to the slaughter of these priests, it is due. It is not, oh, how cruel. These people were monsters. And we see it today. I mean, someone blows up a school bus of children in the name of their God. Are you kidding me? What's the difference? So, although that's not happening at the moment, it has happened in our lifetime and, and will happen, unfortunately, likely again. Anyway, Elijah, he strode up to deliver God's message to King Ahab famine's coming, and because of you. <laughs> That's not how it was worded, but that is what happened. And his rare and his sudden appearances, because he is always sent by God, it, it, it excites us. This man's courage and his zeal attracts us in our faith. His brilliance, uh, the brilliance of his victories, and of course, the pathos and the perplexity that accompanied his defeat. We read twice about him really being up against the ropes. One was the, how we ended the last chapter with the miracle at Zarephath. You know, the Lord, he cried out to the Lord to restore life to the child. And uh, I mean, he was, he was uh, full alert there. And then we'll get that when, of course, he, he flees for his life. None of this takes away who, who the man was. There was more to him than those moments as it is with us. Maybe there's something in your life that just messed up about you and you know about it. Well, there's hopefully a lot more to you that is battling against that. Then there is that glorious departure that he makes and that chariot of fire. We get that later in chapter in Second Kings. And he's still not done in the Bible. After he makes this grand exit, kind of a show-off, 
<laughs> There's that calm beauty of his reappearance on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus Christ centuries later. I mean, the Bible says some big things about this man. These make him one of the greatest characters Israel ever produced. Well, looking at verse 1, it came to pass after many days that the word of Yahweh came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Verse 2, So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. Well, it's been three and a half years since God had put Elijah in the witness protection program, first at the brook Kirith, and then in Zarephath, all because of, again, wicked Ahab and Jezebel, who sought to kill him for daring to confront their evil. How dare you confront us? We have a right to worship our God, and we have a right to murder the children so that we can show our great respect for our God. And, and that is what was happening. And, you know, this message comes out so strong in the prophets. When You, you know, I've, I used to kind of move kind of fast through... I, sorry, that was redundant. I once moved very quickly through my devotions compared to now. Now I read a paragraph or two, and I'm just... Boy, I didn't even think about that. I, so rich to me. And Ezekiel is one. I'm just taking my time through the prophet Ezekiel into this morning just reading about God's wrath and just total fed up with what they were doing. Well, what were they doing? Well, just what we're reading about. But Ezekiel's dealing with it in the South, a hundred years over, a hundred years later. And, well, here, uh, God orders his prophet to go and to come, which is remarkable and a big lesson for us to be led by the Spirit of God. We see Peter get being freed from jail twice in the book of Acts. But yet then Paul... He's in jail, and there's an earthquake, and he and Silas can just walk out, and they don't. And these are remarkable teachings from the Scripture on how to behave as a Christian being led by God. Uh, you, you can be as Moses. Moses was free to ruin his life in the name of God. Remember, he killed the Egyptian because he thought he was doing God's work. He thought he was going to be this great emancipator, and he was, but not on his terms and not his way. So we are free to ruin our lives by, by running our lives without God. It's this old saying, you know, you put I in run and you spell ruin. And that is a, a good thing to remember. And I'm always impressed by how certain these prophets were when they came with their message, when they showed up. And, and as he says, it's not going to rain. He knew it wasn't going to rain. He had no visual indicator to suggest to him a drought was on the way. And then when it was time to rain... You know, he sent his servant up seven times to look for that cloud, and he's just in this state of this poised position as a prophet. He knows it's going to happen. And this famine, as we're told here in verse 2, was particularly great. This rough and magnificent prophet, because he was a messenger of the law of God to an apostate people. And apostates are worse than common unbelievers, uh, they tend to be. Apostate is one who fell away from. They were there, and then they left it. And it, there were a, a whole kingdom of apostates in the northern kingdom at this time. Christianity has had uh, quite a share of apostates. To this day, we hear about book writers and songwriters and even pastors who no longer believe in Jesus Christ. And I, I don't know. I've only heard in all my years, I've only read of one apostate 
that was said to come back. But that is a very serious um, infraction against God. I don't know that most don't recover. Anyway, verse 3, And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared Yahweh greatly. Now don't, don't forget that statement. Uh, this is by the Holy Spirit. He is another magnificent character. He is one of the unsung heroes of the Bible. How many people know about this Obadiah? How many people know about the other Obadiah? Uh, likely not the same. There's, the evidence points that these are two different men. This is Obadiah of the north, long before Obadiah of the south, uh, separated by the centuries. One comes with the doom of Edom, Edom, the Edomites and their arrogance and their pride. Obadiah, verse 12 one of, one of the indicators that he was the prophet in the south, and not this one we're going to talk about this evening, he writes concerning Edom, Nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of their distress. And so that language has to do with the captivity of Judah, again, which happens uh, over a hundred years later. So two different Obadiahs, that's how I'm going to approach it. This one is the chief of staff for Ahab, the wicked king, and his wife. And that is his lessons all, they abound at this point. He says, who was in charge of his house. It's not a little position. He is a trusted servant by a wicked man. You want to say, well, what's he doing? The legalist would come along, you're sinning, you shouldn't be in that house. How dare you? He says, now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And again... Uh, given the widespread apostasy, you're dealing with people who are anti-Yahweh, even though they're the people of Yahweh as a people, not as individuals. They made their choice. Their opposition was deadly, and we're going to be told that straight out in verse 4 when we get there. But uh, coming here, and still in verse 3, uh, he feared the Lord. Now, contrary to Elijah's exaggerated view of this man and the other remnant, he's devout. And he was devout when it counted. He wasn't this devout creature of worship only when there was no persecution. He retained his, his position and he became savvy. He was wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. That is this Ovadiah. He was a saint in the sea of sinners. One pastor from long ago preached, Grace can live where you would never expect to see it survive for an hour. And that's what we're seeing. You, you see, a believer in, that, in the palace of Ahab, a devout believer? No way. They're going to kill him. Or he's going to be, you know, an apostate himself. Jezebel alone was enough to make the palace reek with the stench of iniquity and idolatry and all of the evil that was. Again, don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of the baby killings that, that were going on there. And you come to your Old Testament and you, the, the unbeliever says, well, if God is a God of love, how come he's... You can just say, okay, he's not. Now I'm going to punch you out. I've changed. You've converted me. And there you go. You got what you wanted, Buster. Anyway, anyone here, maybe listening online, listening in the future, hate your job? It's one of the biggest complaints that people have. 
You can start out, I love this new job. The people are so friendly. Oh, man, my boss is this and that. And then you give them an hour. And oh, I hate that place. I'm going to take a course online to make shoelace tips. Uh, anyway, because all the buttonhole makers were... Anyway, back to this. Maybe you hate it because the people there are vulgar. And they're antichrist. They've swat, they're sw- and particularly now, this culture is just swallowing people up like uh, like just a pit of hell itself walking around with legs the atmosphere that's created by antichrist people and maybe you hate your job well obadiah was in that position i don't think he went home and said what she said his wife said to him how's your day obadiah oh it was wonderful we sang hymns no not at all could you think he could have a prayer study there at lunchtime I don't think so. His name means servant of Yahweh or servant of Jehovah. That is revealing. Now, name is nature. That's the intention. The intention of the names in the Bible are to point to a nature, a behavior, an action. And his parents said, we want to name him the servant of Yahweh. That's his name in a culture that is anti-Yahweh. See, it counts now to be a believer. You can have fair-weathered friends. They're your friends so long as things are going their way. But a real friend, a real friend sticks with you. Thick or thin, better or worse. I mean, you can ruin that too if if you're careless. But I mean, a a real good friend is not going, oh, you you got fired today? Well, (laughs) I'm not going to be your friend anymore. And there are many people like that. Well... In the days where persecution was everywhere against the faithful, at a time when the name of Yahweh was held in contempt, this apostate culture, idols up in Bethel, Baal shrines, Ashtoreth shrines all over, images everywhere. This man's parents stood up in that culture. They were alive. When he, when he was born, apostasy was running wild. He could, even if he was in his 70s, they'd been around that long up in the north. We have the dates of the kings to document that. And his parents stood up against the culture and defied the culture by naming him the servant of Yahweh. So he is raised in an atmosphere of devotion. You might say he was born in a Christian home. Any of you like that here, raised in a Christian home? Maybe one or both of your parents are devout believers. Um, here, they wanted their child's name to mean something in the face of all that was going wrong surrounding them. They wanted his name to stand in the face of everyone who was bowing the knee to Baal and to Ashtoreth and to Chemosh and whatever, Melcom, whatever other fake made-up gods from hell they were following. And their, that lifestyle that accompanied it, that Sidonian queen that she brought into the land, he was no such servant. He would say with his name alone, keep your popular lifestyle, keep your gods, I have my God, and I will serve him. And so uh, the pagans, what are they going to do with that? He became a walking sermon just in his name. Satan, he is trying to steal some of this by forcing us to name uh, the name of people who defy 
our God and say, I'm no longer known as Mike or Joe or Jim. Uh, I'm now one of the soggy bottom boys, and I'm... <laughs> I want to be known as Susie or something. It's like, this is madness. Madness. Anyway, verse 4. For so it was, and we'll get back to you teens. We've got something for you tonight. Hopefully you will be awake for it. I'll text it to you. This way I know you'll get it and read it. <laughs> I won't text it to you. But anyway, back to this. For so it because you get all excited. He's going to text. I'm going to wait for it. For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of Yahweh, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. So there's more on Jezebel. Jezebel not only was satisfied with murdering children, she wanted to kill pastors too. While Ahab looked the other way, although he brought her here, he brought this witch into the promised land. And uh, we have no indication that he ever regretted doing that. That is introduced to us in chapter 16, verse 31, 32. What made her so abhorrent to God is that she drew... Uh, the things that she did was so abhorrent to God that she's going to suffer this vile death that is just incredibly shameful. You would not want to be the recipient of such a prophecy. The dogs are going to eat you. You're so de just despised even in heaven, your behavior. And her hatred for how God's people wanted to live. She hated how they wanted to live. That's why she was trying to, again, exterminate them. And we're, start, we're seeing this today. This ghoulish religion that called for these uh, horrendous things in the name of worship. Uh, anyway, she went beyond polluting and mingling Baal with Yahweh. She took it to the level of just being totally intolerant, not even wanting nothing to do with Yahweh. And we're seeing this today, where we, we see it, saw it earlier with evolution. There was a point they did not even want to. Think about an alternative to evolution. That was it. Creation science, as it is called by some, could not even be brought up as an alternative. They were totally intolerant. Well, this is what's going on here. And uh, just as Bloody Mary in, in London in the 1500s, uh, you know, she burned over 300 Christians at the stake, alive, I, I should add. And that's probably a conservative number because people in that, that crowd would, certain, would want to cover up the facts. So, so weird. You want to cover up the facts, why don't you change teams? And you won't have to do that. But that is not how it works. This Baal that she worshipped, the god of power and nature, the same god of the liberals, actually. Uh, they, they just want to get elected and have power and, um, and, and have people who hug trees and leaves come follow them. Uh, they're still around this in various forms. Uh, anyhow, it says that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave. It's been said in that part of Israel there are over 20,000 caves. Many of them can ha easily handle 50 people. She, and it says here, and fed them with bread and water. Well, this man was a thinker. He had to make plans, the, the right plans, and take measures to... Supply a hundred people with bread and water without being detected, no less, in a famine. 
And how many, I mean, I know the people here in many churches, they support missionaries. Anybody here support 100 pastors? Uh, this, this man is incredible. These men were considered fugitives, but God was with him. And this was what makes, you know, Elijah, you know, he, where he overstepped, where he became that self-righteous. We even say that in ministry to, to other pastors. Watch out for the Elijah complex. Well, I'm the only one. I'm the only pastor doing it. My church is the only church that's got it together. That's an Elijah complex. That's wrong, and you, we have to guard against it. It's easy to do. We do it with other, you know, well... Some, well, some places it's right. For instance, I am the only good driver on the road, and I know you think the same thing. Not about you, about me. <laughs> we, we just have to watch these things because they're, they're traps. They're not true of you. I'm just, my, my flesh won't even let me pretend that you could be right on such an issue. Anyway, uh, he could not have acted alone. It's just not logistically possible. That means the remnant that God said, oh, by the way, Elijah, I've got a 7,000 haven't bowed the knee. Well, some of them were here helping Obadiah. And his position, in his, he's likely the leader of this. He is the leader. And he's a little shocked that the word hasn't reached Elijah. It may have reached him, but Elijah, either he disregarded it or he didn't hear. He had been away for three and a half years. Verse 5, And Ahab had said to Obadiah, now, Elijah's not showed up yet. We, we're getting the characters, Ahab and Obadiah in the famine. Uh, so Ahab the king said to Obadiah, Go into the land, verse 5, to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so, he, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. Well, he seems, this Ahab, to have... Um, been very comfortable with Obadiah, and that's not a surprise to have a wicked boss or leader that is uh, actually favors believers. I've experienced this. I've worked for people that were anti-Christ, anti-Christian, and were embraced by them. Uh, they would trust me. Um, so, you know, I remember one time stands out. The boss went out, and I continued working, and everybody else stopped and started chit-chatting because they were like, ding-dong, the boss is gone, <laughs> the mean old boss. And he pops his head back up, and he's there, and he says, the only guy working up here is Rick. And I go, yeah, that's me. That is me because I am an awesome Christian, and you guys need to know it. Anyway, of course, I didn't do that. I was like, yeah, it is me because I'm, I'm afraid of God, not of you. Well, anyhow, that's my moment that relates to this. There are others. that So this is doable. If you are a believer and you work in this kind of environment, God can use you. As this man evidently gained the resources, he probably knew where all the patrols were and everything. Okay, this is when we're going to move the food. And to here is where we're going to move these prophets to protect them. Uh, a vital, the enemy would call him a mole. But God called him a servant. Servant of Yahweh, as his name is. And again, the righteous often appeal to the unrighteous because of their trustworthiness. This is a good thing. Uh, you know, if you know all your co-workers are thinking like you, not honest, and thieves and corrupt. It's nice to have somebody that's governed by God. Well, 
Ahab, uh, he seems to be king enough at this point to want to protect the horses and mules because this is the, likely the military's um, horses and mules. And, of course, if he loses military preparedness, then another kingdom will swoop, swoop down and that will be the end of him. So it's not like he is totally you know, doing everything right, but he was no fool in this sense. In verse 6, so they divided the land between, between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now, it's twice said here, by himself, and that strikes me as important. This is a critical moment. These two men would be, for, for a while, isolated, and then they will all join up together, Obadiah, Elijah, and the, the king. Uh, but here, he, great trust the king has for him. I don't think there's uh, anybody else but these two out on this mission. Uh, after all, there was nothing to snack on back in the palace. Got to do something to keep from thinking about your hunger. Verse 7, and now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him and recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord, Elijah? Well, he wasn't expecting this. He's on a mission looking for, you know, food. And suddenly there's Elijah. Boom. <laughs> it's like, stop doing that. <laughs> Anyway, he recognizes Elijah because of his hairy garment and his hairy arms <laughs> and everything else. Second Kings chapter 1 is the story of one of the kings that fell through a lattice and hurt himself. And you just wonder, what was he doing? He's probably dancing. And anyway, he falls through the lattice. He gets hurt. He sends his servants to, you know, the, the pagans to find out if he's going to survive. And Elijah intercepts them and says, go tell your king. He's not going to make it. And when they go back to the king, he said, the prophet met us. And he said, this is where we pick it up. Because he asked him, what did he look like? So they answered, 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it's Elijah, the Tishbite. I knew it. Anyway, Obadiah, he, he being the aide to Ahab he was, he likely was there when, when Elijah first said there's going to be a three-year drought, I mean, a famine coming. And uh, so he recognizes him. The garment that, uh, the garments that he's wearing, Elijah, would, would help. And it says he fell on his face. And of course, it doesn't mean he tripped and hurt himself. But this reverent gesture that accompanies his reverent words. He, he's both of them. He doesn't have to do this, but he does have to do this because he's a man of God. You would think Elijah would say, you know, fellow brother Christian. He's not going to get that from Elijah. Anyway, he fell on his face. Is that you, my Lord? And there's the word, the reverent word. Now, Elijah's going to spin this negatively, and then Obadiah's going to spin it back. And we'll, we'll come to that. Verse 8, and he answered, it is I. Go tell your master Elijah is here. You see, there's the first spin of Elijah. He just said that you're my Lord, Adonai, Master, not Yahweh. Uh, you're, you're this person of honor and respect, and I'm subjecting myself to you. And Elijah says, no, go tell your master. In other words, no, you have another Lord. And that's a kind of a cheap shot, I, I think, um, I'm suspecting Elijah at this point does not think very much of Obadiah. Uh, but that will likely, it will change. How do we know it changes? Because 
Elijah, like Jonah, is, is telling, was going, we, we find out things from the story that only Elijah could have told. Like the whole thing when he ran and God straightened him out. I've got others that worship me. Nobody else was there. And you could say, well, God sent an angel to tell the recorder. That's a, that's a stretch. Uh, the prophet uh, would tell the people, you know, I was, this is what I did and it wasn't great. And, he, and God does not disown him. Well, anyway, this is still a lot of lessons here for us. Uh, again, here is Obadiah here in verse 8, showing great respect to the prophet. And the prophet is addressing him sharply, more than once, uh, from a fellow believer, again. Now, granted, you know, I, in, in my naive days when someone would say, I'm a Christian, I would like, oh, great, thinking they loved the word of God, thinking they were born again, only to find out they, they were anything but a Christian. Uh, they just chose it. I mean, when I went to boot camp, they said, what religion do you want on your dog tags? Um, who are you calling a dog? No, anyway. So I just picked the religion of my mom, you know. That, well, the, the church across the street was Lutheran. That's just a short walk for us. All right, what, what did I know about Martin Luther or anything else? Anyway, they, well, the, the carpet was very impressive, though. I was always taken by that red. Anyway, back to this. Uh, so, you know, what's Elijah's problem? Well, he's a man of action. He's bold. He's out in your face kind of a ministry. He's always on the front line. Nothing to conceal. Even the way he dresses gets your attention. Obadiah was a quiet believer. Devout, the Bible tells us. True, steadfast, in a very difficult position. Elijah has no right. I love Elijah the prophet. So does God. But these are the facts. And they're here for us to examine ourselves. Do I do this? Do I look at others? Now, granted, there are some Christians that are just wacky and they cause problems. I'm not talking about those. Then there are others that are just do it differently. And you just have to be careful that, that you don't end up warring against God, criticizing their style of ministry. Well, uh, here is Obadiah performing his duty in a less open manner and is actually saving lives. Jezebel has demonstrated they will kill these men, and he has demonstrated that he will do all he can do to save them. And that's what his faith did, saved lives. He's working in a, for a wicked government. I hope we have devout Christians somewhere in what is called the you know, Department of Inju I mean Justice. There's <laughs> not much justice coming out of that place. But I hope there are believers, and I'm confident that there are true believers there, and they are the salt of the earth, and they are influencing towards righteousness. And as you know, when you, you have a, a government that is doing everything against God, we have no right to think that, well, they're all that way. And this is one of the lessons that I think comes out of here very clearly. Um, Elijah's going to learn in this exchange and about this man. As I mentioned, he seems to dismiss his heroism. First Kings chapter 19, this is um, what Elijah, what happens with him and God. So he runs from Jezebel. He's not all the man he thought he was. 
So he said, I have been very zealous for Yahweh, God of Israel, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. See, that's not true. And God makes sure. So God deals with him and says, oh, as it's ending, oh, by the way, I'm not letting this pass. You're not the only one, and you're not all of that. And the beloved Elijah, he he tells the story because he knows so, uh, anyway, the real danger that exists for us in viewing those who serve in the rear with the gear as being somehow not as valuable. And the world does this, the church does this, Christians do this. We're all susceptible to this because we are Christians. And uh, the tendency uh, of the brave is to undervalue quiet bravery. Because you cannot charge him with being a coward. You cannot say Obadiah is not a coward. But we've got to get to the foundation. We've already touched on his parents being the foundation, the influence in his life. Let's not undervalue and underestimate secret service. I did not say secret servants. I said secret service. Uh, I don't think there was anything about this man that denied his faith. He was so valuable to Ahab... And Jezebel, they tolerated him. And that happens. In some respects, Martha disdained Mary for not serving as she was serving. Uh, I mean, Mary probably said, listen, I didn't promise to feed these boys. I mean, that was your plan. (laughs) So anyway, um, you love the Lord saying, hey. Now, that doesn't mean Mary was a slouch. I mean, that doesn't mean that at all. You can't say... Martha Denver said, well, she always does this. Uh, Mary just said, you know, today I'm not cooking. Um, So that's a great story. And Martha learns her lesson. And Martha seems to now say, okay, fine. This is who I am. I'm going to serve this way. And she can be lazy over there with the Lord. (laughs) Anyway, says here in verse 8, and he answered him, it is I go tell your master. See, go tell your master again. But this is a scene, as I mentioned last session, in the movie that becomes one of the best scenes. When Elijah, you would say to someone, did you, see the, did you love that scene when they recreated that moment from the scripture? When Elijah shows up to Obadiah, you've got these two dynamo servants that serve in two completely different ways. One is dressed in a suit and the other is dressed in uh, was some dead animal skin that he found in the middle of the road. Uh, one calls fire down from the other guy. The other one brings water and bread to God's people. To this, and then he says, Elijah is here. And he says, I'm not telling him anything. That's pretty much what Obadiah is going to say until you sign off on this. And then we're going to come to that. Ahab and his apostates, uh, they were nothing like this man. And the significance of this word is found uh, in when he says Elijah is here. The significance is that Elijah brought action, and so did Obadiah. Well, uh, verse 9, and he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? So he's not backing down. He's still referring to uh, uh Elijah as his Lord in that he's saying, I'm your servant. He's trying to say, I'm on your side. Uh, he says, what do I, you're going to get me killed. He's going to explain this also. 
He expresses this three times from verse 9 through 14 that you're going to get me killed. Like, like he's saying, I don't think Elijah is registering. This is my, <laughs> my life. I think he's just like, go get your master and it's all about me. I, verse, verse 10, and, and Obadiah is still speaking. As Yahweh, your God, lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And that was part of the treaties then. But uh, this shows that Ahab had a sizable army. He had treaties. He had contacts. And he was very serious about uh, this contract on the life of the prophet Elijah. And was exhausting resources searching for him. In his wrath, his intense wrath of this righteous man, verse 11, again, that dared to stride up to him and, and say, you know, the famine's coming because of your wickedness. Verse 11, so Obadiah says, and now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. Now, I don't know how he phrased this. He's probably more of a statesman, and he says, and now you're telling me to go tell, uh, and now you say, go tell your master, a little, I think a little sarcasm maybe, Elijah is here. Well, I would like to think that he said it this way. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah's here. <laughs> I don't know if he said it that way, but that had to be what's going on in his head. You cannot just show up and say, hi, I'm back. Go tell, go tell the king that's been trying to kill me that I'm here. It's not so simple. Uh, what did Elijah know about the court of the king? Anyway, Obadiah, a righteous man, working for an unrighteous and wicked man, knows what, he knows statesmen, he knows what's happening here. And Elijah doesn't get it yet. Verse 12, and it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from you, that the Spirit of Yahweh will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared Yahweh from my youth. I I mean, you've got to think there's some humor in this. You're going to tell me, go tell Ahab I'm here, and then you're going to be swept away like you were last time to who knows where. (laughs) And interesting, God doesn't tell Obadiah, Elijah's going to meet you on the road. He gets nothing. He gets no indication about this. Uh, Anyway, here he is fighting for his life with the man of God. It's a vindicating moment. It's exciting. He speaks loud and clear. He's saying... You know, Elijah, you can hear the voice of God. Now you need to hear my voice. I'm right here in front of you. And you've been gone for three and a half years. And you expect me to be comfortable with this plan. Last time you didn't tell anybody you were leaving. He says, but I, your servant. Again, the comeback to, I'm not, Ahab's not my master. I work for him. Yeah, it's a professional relationship. (laughs) That's it. He says, have feared the Lord from my youth. Now here we are. One of the great moments. This is another, oh, by the way, moment. You've been, you know, you've been treating me pretty harsh here. By the way, from my childhood, I've been a follower of Yahweh. Time has not changed this. However old he was, his religion, his true religion, had not eroded. He did not allow all the evil around him to erode his belief in God. 
It's what Paul said. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he itemizes the most challenging things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril of sword. Well, here's an example. So, the youth, you younger church attendees, you can only answer, are you a true believer or are you just a churchgoer? And it's true for all of us. Here's some verses from the scripture of the men of God standing up and saying, thanks mom and thanks dad, or whichever influence it was, hopefully both, but not always is that the case. Psalm 22, verse 10, I was cast upon you from my birth, from my mother's womb, you have been my God. That's pretty, that's pretty, that David, right? <laughs> David is saying, I was born in a Christian home. Well, the, you know, making the, the connection, of course. I was born a believer in this sense. I was born into a home, and I benefited from it, and I took advantage of it in a righteous way. I did not exploit it, but I availed myself. Psalm 71.5, For you are my hope, O Yah- Lord Yahweh. You are my trust from my youth. Again, Psalm 71, this time verse 17, O God, You have taught me from my youth to this day. I declare your wondrous works. Well, how did you get taught from the youth? Well, mom raising him up. Dad's out working in the fields, you know, whatever he's doing out there. And mom's home raising them in the house in the things of the Lord. Acts 26, the Apostle Paul. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. Now he's saying, I was raised in Judaism. And he's saying, from my youth, I've been exposed to the things of Yahweh, to the scriptures. What he did with them was not, was corrected, was corrected by God. And so, you know, we have Timothy, you know, Paul telling him, don't remember, don't forget, don't forget that uh, who you've learned these things in your childhood from, your mother and your grandmother. So this is uh, Obadiah. I have feared Yahweh from my youth. Many have to wait until they get older. Life's beat them up. And they come to Christ. And many of them serve like just, you know, courageous servants. Another pastor wrote many years ago, To be a believer in God early in life is to be saved from a thousand regrets. How many people have made mistakes and messed up their lives because they did not follow the Lord they were raised with? Or maybe they weren't raised with. Why should you hear good Bible preaching time and time again? You say, oh, it's Wednesday, i got to go to church. Oh, it's Sunday, i got to go to church. Why should you have the privilege of hearing that when there are people that never hear the name of Jesus? Why? What are you going to do with that? That's for adult. That's for me. It's for youth alike. When he was found to be old, what he was when he was young was not lost His mom would have just been praising the Lord. That name meant something to him. Servant of Yahweh. He proved himself in the way he served a king that was wicked, that still wanted him around, in his dialogue with this prophet. I do not believe that he covered up his belief. I think he would have moved to the northern kingdom, as many of the priests and Levites did when Jeroboam came to the throne and other kings came in. I think he would have either fled or died a martyr's death, but I strongly believe they just left him alone because that's how valuable he was. And to them, he was irreplaceable. 
The hand of God was upon his life, like, a, like Joseph. This was the case with Joseph. Joseph was so valuable. Wherever he went, everything he touched turned to gold. That was Joseph. So, it is uh, so many lessons here, because this is a man who prospered. And it is very dangerous for a Christian to prosper in this world, to become rich and respectable because of pride. But it is doable. We can become uh, rich and, well, I don't know about that. I'm still not, I haven't perfected that one. (laughs) Anyway, we can become successful and not lose our faith. And so this man shows us that it can be done without failure and have lives saved in the process. And for him, these were physical lives. For us, it can be both. Verse 13. Was it not reported to my Lord that when uh, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of Yahweh's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? So when he says, was it not reported, he is, he is saying, listen, this is not, this is, Knowledge, at least in the believer's community, amongst the remnant, at the very least, they people know that I saved these men. How come you don't know this, Elijah? And Elijah could have said, well, I haven't been here. I'm sorry, but he doesn't. He's he's going to dismiss it. Hebrews 13, 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And the world was not worthy of these prophets that were hidden because um, of the evil in the land. Verse 14, and now you say, go tell your master, Elijah's here. He will kill me. Again, that's the third time he, he mentions that. So he's, he, he's extremely prudent. And uh, he, he neither was compromised in his conscience nor jeopardized in his position. He retained his position. He retained his righteousness, and uh, he's letting the prophet know. Verse 15, Then Elijah said, As Yahweh, host, uh, as Yahweh of hosts lives, verse 15, before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. Well, Obadiah is going to trust his life on the word of, that, of this prophet. Now, the Hebrew term here, uh, Yahweh of hosts, means literally Yahweh of armies, and that is the armies of Israel and, of course, the armies of the angels of the uh, other created beings that are in the spiritual realm. Uh, moving So now, well, before we move to verse 16, we find that Obadiah has made himself important to Elijah. Elijah needs him to mediate a meeting, verse 16, at least arrange it. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet him. Could you imagine? Obadiah shows up and he says, I found Elijah. Ahab does not doubt um, his servant. He's not the kind of man to doubt. He believes him and and acts on it. Ahab ends up lashed to a whale. Oh, no, wait, that's another Ahab. (laughs) So, verse 17, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? So they're just flying, these insults flying around. Uh, This is a tense moment. Anything that interfered with Ahab was troublesome, including God. God was troublesome to Ahab. And there are fools like this to this very day. Their definition of God is idiotic because it comes not from God. 
How can you have a definition about someone that, uh, and, uh, a God, a, a deity, a supreme being that you just make up? I used to belong, I used to be in that camp, and Jesus saved my wretched soul by introducing himself to me. And thank you, Lord, that I grabbed it immediately. Um, Ahab later it greets, later in, in the, the drama that unfolds in chapter 21, He's, he later greets Elijah again when, again, Elijah is sent to him and said, you know, stealing that vineyard from Naboth, God's going to do you in for that. So when that, they're approaching each other, uh, Ahab says, have you found me, oh, my enemy? So there's no love lost between these two. Uh, in fact, let's read it. First uh, Kings 21, verse 20. So Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, oh, my enemy? And he answered, I've found you because you have sold yourself to do evil. In the sight of Yahweh, I found you. Mumbling what he really thinks of him. Uh, anyway, verse 18. We're not going to uh, even attempt to get to the end of this chapter. We're splitting it up in two because we have the big showdown coming uh, that merits an evening by itself. Verse 18. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of Yahweh and have followed the bowels. So this tense moment, Elijah didn't let it pass. Yeah, I'm not the troublemaker, it's you. He did not ignore that statement. Uh, wicked people, they, they, they get to a place, I, I strongly believe, when they become this wicked, where truth is totally irrelevant. And nothing is relevant to them but what they want. It's the only thing that, that matters in, in their life. And they become just uh, utter fools. <laughs> I've been binge-watching these... Um, custom agents, uh, something about borders. I don't remember the, remember the name of it on YouTube. They're free. And it's these Canadian uh, customs agents, and the people are coming through, and the agent will randomly pick somebody and say, so is there anything in your bag that I might find that's illegal? Nope. And then he opens the bag up, and there's two dead bodies. Well, that's not true, but it's just something like, are you kidding me? The guy just asked you a question, and he says, how come you didn't tell me? And they just can't tell the truth. They just can't. They're going to get caught. They're going to get arrested or denied entry or fined or whatever. Is there <clears throat> any meat in your suitcase? No. He's got seven of them. I'm not kidding. One guy said they're bringing meat from other countries. and they, How come you didn't declare it? Oh, I forgot I had it. This should be a law that if your excuse is that stupid, you get shot on the spot. <laughs> but you, you, have, you look at this and you see this is real. I mean, these are real people. These aren't actors. And, and you just, you know, are reminded. The wickedness is just, it is a mystery. But except spiritually we understand. Satan's power to blind people to truth is quite powerful. And Ahab is, is that. You would think that the prophet said, it's not going to rain. It's going to stop raining for a long time because God's told me this because of you. You would think when the drought came and he saw this happen, he would begin to change his mind about God. And then the prophet comes and says, you better hurry up, get back to the city because it's going to rain. You would think the prophet would say, well, look at that. He called for the rain. I think I'm going to follow his God. Especially when he outruns the chariot. That alone should have made him... I mean, you figure the girded up robe, and he has to look goofy with those sandals on. I mean, they didn't even have running shoes. And he, he outruns the chariot. 
Anyway, we'll get that next session. He says, in that you have forsaken the commandments of Yahweh and have followed the Baals. Baals. So he, he delivers the message. That's what the prophets do. And this constant fascination with these uh, fake gods, it doomed the northern kingdom and its adherents. So we picked that up because eventually it caused the demise of, the, of the, that kingdom. Second Kings 17 so this is what the Bible, what God says. So they left all the commandments of Yahweh their God, made for themselves a molded image and two calves, which goes all the way back to the beginning of this northern kingdom, made a wooden image and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of Yahweh to provoke him to anger. Therefore, Yahweh was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. And that won't stand. The same thing will happen to them. Because when we get into, if you go through Jeremiah and you read about Zedekiah the king, you just want to just address that guy. He's just so, such a spineless, just, he causes so much grief because of, he's just a fool. Um, and it just would not have been much to, to stand up to the evil. Verse 19. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Ashtoreth who eat at Jezebel's table. So the government is now subsidizing the pagan pastors. They're feeding them. They're taking care of them. Um, we have to remember, especially pastors, it's not a popularity contest. I strongly believe once a pastor is, becomes preoccupied with being popular, he, he can't pastor. He has to be popular with God. And, I mean, he's human, so he's just, you know, time to time he'll struggle with this and that, and he'll feel the sting of them, but it, it is um, imperative that he keeps focused on God. These guys here, they were just, um, they were loved by Jezebel. Uh, Elijah, when he gets to Mount Carmel, he won't have this following. He won't have 900 uh, adherents to Yahweh. He'll be pretty much alone, which is part of his statement to God, I alone, but he went too far with it. 900, 900 witnesses just in these clergy of what God is going to do on that mountain, the great and awesome arrival of God, that was their chance to repent. That was their moment. So we can't look at, ever look at the Old Testament and say, God is mean. You can never do that and be honest or true to what's happening. Jesus said to the disciples, unless you repent, you too will perish. And, you know, these are the men that followed him, that he picked. And he said, you know what, if you don't repent of sin, because they're the ones that asked him, hey, the wall fell on these guys, Pilate killed these other guys while they were doing worship. Uh, you know, were they really bad? And Jesus said, they're like everybody else. But if you, it comes down to repentance. If you don't repent, you too will perish. Well, lessons learned. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you. Uh, again, always, we want these things to not just be information to us, just another uh, a lecture on things in the book of the Bible. 
We want this to be the word of God to us, uh, sweet and powerful and effective. And we ask that uh, these things would happen by your Holy Spirit. We also ask that you would get us home safely this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.